On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. That was the most pleasing part of November for me, was that defence. That means you don't have to play unbelievably well to still win a match. And that's really important in a World Cup. I think it's really promising going into next year. I think there's enough time and enough know-how in there to, to pull things around. I suppose the key concern is probably that when Sexton's not there, things aren't as good. But we've probably been saying that for three years now. And... and they're taking that chance they're going into the World Cup with Saxon. Ireland completed a November clean sweep with a narrow victory over Australia last weekend but despite Andy Farrell's men securing three wins from three there's definitely areas to improve ahead of next year's Six Nations and that World Cup in France Welcome to the left wing Will Slattery here joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Rory O'Connor for our autumn series review and before we get into some of the bigger picture questions or talking points after November might just quickly go back to the Australia game at the weekend. We finally got that opportunity to see how Ireland would manage against a top-tier team without Johnny Sexton. There's been a lot of talk in the days since then about how they fared. What's kind of your overall assessment now with a bit of clarity? Yeah, I think it's more to it than just without Johnny Sexton because obviously you're out Joey Carberry as well. You're out Kieran Frawley and you're going into a test match with Jack Crowley you know, at the eleventh hour who you know was only called up in the warm-up with Ross Byrne who was promoted you know from the the training squad to the bench in, in the warm-up. Um, and I think that kind of adversity is the kind of thing which would have thrown Ireland off before. You know, you've got Stuart McCluskey starting at 12, who's your third choice 12. So you have a bit of, um, you know, you're going into your into your resources there, into your depth chart. And look, I think everyone will recognize that it wasn't particularly brilliant, but uh, certainly from an attacking point of view, I thought it was defensively excellent apart from this Australia's try. I thought they showed guts. I thought they showed character. Um, and they won a game that for stretches you wondered whether it was going against them. I think the big concern coming out of November is the fact that the three teams Ireland faced, sorry, the four teams, if you include New Zealand, the New Zealand 15, all showed different ways of how to shut Ireland down in an attack. Um, they all had different strategies and all of them were successful in their own ways and Ireland never got flowing in the way that they did last summer. But at the same time, apart from that New Zealand Day game, where which you know it seems to have cost a number of players their places in the pecking order, the three test matches were won and Ireland go into twenty nineteen sorry, twenty twenty three with uh, you know, on you know, world number one team on the back of another uh, win, another home win, a record run of home wins but with serious room for improvement and a coach who's certainly not getting carried away with what he's seeing there. It's it's uh, it's quite realistic, I think, in there about the fact that they never really got going and attacked this this window. So, um, 
you know, it wasn't a, you know, all singing, all dancing, 10 out of 10 in November. Maybe that's not a bad thing going into the World Cup. You know, you could look at it and say they're regressing a little bit based on what we've seen over the course of the year. But I think there's enough time and enough know-how in there to, to pull things around. I suppose the key concern is probably that when Sexton's not there, things aren't as good. But we've probably been saying that for three years now. And, and there's, they're taking that chance. They're going into the World Cup with Sexton. So that's that's kind of where I am with it. Yeah, like it wasn't a brilliant win. wasn't a brilliant win, though, but it was a win. Yeah, look, the attacking question is interesting because that was such a hallmark of Ireland's improvement under Andy Fry with, with the success they were having with that attack. And as Rudd said, kind of all three teams, even though Ireland won, did kind of stymie them in that regard. Why do you think the attack never really did flow over the course of the three matches? It's probably pretty clear, really, isn't it? I think in that, bar the Fijian game, but I think there was you know, there was still a few changes in that. And that always makes things, makes things um, difficult. I think um, Sexton is still the key guy, I think, isn't he? Um you know, and I think even he, you know, like South Africa, I thought defended brilliantly against Ireland. And I think like that's probably the best one to judge Ireland on in terms of like, can you know, reproducing what they produced against New Zealand and, you know, how good that was an attack. He's still the key guy for making everything kind of tick and flow. And, you know, he plays so close to the line. It's really difficult for another out half to replicate and for t- people to get their timing and different things um, off him. And look, um, you know, I think uh, it'll take them a while to to get close to that. I think, and for other players to get used to them, and they haven't had none of them have had any time in there really, any significant time anyway with the team. So I think we have to allow them a little bit of leeway on that front. I think, um, you know, in terms of the attack, you know, I think they didn't really dominate. South Africa is the one I really judge, and I think they didn't really dominate that. They didn't like they dominated New Zealand's pack. I thought in the loose, that was where it really. I mean, they got go for it all the time against them, and, and um, were really good at the rook. Whereas I think against South Africa. You know, it was so difficult to do that. First of all, their line speed was brilliant, but also their big man to shift around. Like that'll be the that'll. I think South Africa and France are still the two most difficult teams for us to play against and to get our flow against. And um, that's the one I'd be probably most concerned about because I think they didn't have a kicker, and that can kind of that that to my mind masks over maybe some some issues we could think we have them figured out. I don't think we will think that, but I think there's a danger of that certainly. Um, and I think. Uh, one other factor that I'd probably mention as well is that remember that we haven't played together in quite a while. Um, whereas the Southern Hemisphere teams are coming up, and you'd expect them to be in a bit more of a flow from an attack perspective than, say, the uh, the Northern Hemisphere teams. Um, just by virtue of having played a little bit sooner together than than the Northern Hemisphere teams, so I always allow a little bit of that, and it's the same with the start of the Six Nations. Will and uh, what was very pleasing is I think defensively Ireland. I've kind of been on about this for a while. I thought Ireland had been a little bit leaky defensively, and I always kind of felt like I wonder had Andy Farrell maybe focused a little bit more attention on the attack than the defence and um, no I thought I was really pleased that uh, they got that they looked to have got that sorted they were really really good for for long periods I thought and hung in there at times when it was tough uh, against uh, you know South Africa and Australia I kind of leave off the Fijian one I'm not really haven't really looked at that that closely maybe that's a bit arrogant but I I don't think it is I think the ones we really have to judge ourselves on are the, are the first and the last one and I think um, Ireland were pretty good defensively in, in both of those games Will and I think that was really pleasing because that means you don't have to play unbelievably well to still win a match. And that's really important in a World Cup. Um, so I think if we're talking about it with that, with that in mind, that was the most pleasing part of November for me was that defence. Um, I thought it was really plucky. And as as to, to Rob Rhodes' description, showed a huge amount of character. And uh, that was the most pleasing. And I think it's really promising going into next year. 
One thing, Luke, I'd like to ask you, having played with Johnny Sexton and obviously played in teams when he was absent, because one of the things that was said in November, the Fijian game, I know you said you didn't look at it too closely, maybe, but on the Australia game when he wasn't absent, not only does he obviously tie the attack together, but that other players' performance levels maybe dip because his intensity isn't there or his leadership or his presence. Like having been in those situations, is that a, a thing that you think exists when you look at this team that not only do does the attack maybe falter a little bit but the guys don't even hit their own performance levels because maybe he's not there to drive them on I, I I was always we we obviously talked about James Ryan's comments and how worrying that was a while ago but I think that might have just been a slip of the tongue um and I think I hope it wasn't a Freudian slip if you know what I mean but um no I think to be honest with you um he just plays a little bit differently it's really hard to describe to someone who hasn't like if you haven't played that closely with him, but to do what he does as close to the line, like his, his ball handling ability and his decision-making on the line is like nothing I've ever seen. And most people will probably think of Johnny and talk about different things. But if you, I think if you really talk to backs, particularly about what's different about him, that's his best ability is, it sounds like a real basic thing, but his ability to throw and make really tough decisions. Like, I don't know how early the picture he has before he throws a pass, like, in, in his mind. He seems to have the picture way earlier in his head about what to do and be really in control in the situations. Sounds like a real small skill to narrow in on, but it really is a differentiator for him and any other out half that I played with um, in terms of his, his playmaking ability. And that's really difficult to replicate, Will. And I think that's what makes him different to play with and difficult for other guys to try and emulate. And as well, for your forward pack and your other backs to get their timing and to look fluid with other guys. That's a very small point that I've made. But at the same time, at this level, it is very small things that can make a big difference. Um, and I would also caveat that, and this with a, with, a, with a very important point, is that Johnny's been the mainstay in the team for a very long period of time. And my time in Irish jersey was probably pretty closely split between playing with Raj if Johnny wasn't playing or playing with Johnny. Do you know what I mean? So they were very different anyway, but also they were both excellent um, and world class and both had a significant amount of time in the jersey wheel. So I don't know if I really have a point of reference as good. I mean, I think there was probably maybe times when Ian Madigan was in there quite a bit. Um, but I mean, that was difficult for him too because he had lots of games off the bench and different things like that. He never really had a concerted go as a starting 10 in the team. So I don't really think I'm unbelievably well positioned to make a comment exactly on your on, on your question. But I think, I hope I've given you a bit of a, bit of a player's maybe insight into what I think. And, and having talked to other players who played next to Johnny, like the likes of Darcy and Dricko, I think they tell you the same thing about what's really impressive about him. Um, I hope that was in some way illuminating or maybe to what's, what makes him a little bit different. Yeah, because like the narrative after the Australia game was that, you know, Jack Crowley came in, Jack Crowley did pretty well, but that the Ireland team didn't play very well and the attack didn't play very well. When you're balancing those two things that the out half came in and played pretty well, but then the attack didn't fire and the team didn't play well, you're kind of, I'm kind of looking at the two of them and like, how compatible are those two narratives? Even though I think they're, he did do pretty well. And it is like it's it's a point that I've made, and I I think the the major reference point I would go back to is the first test in New Zealand where he went off after twenty five minutes, and and at that point Ireland were in the ascendancy, and everything fell to pieces when he went off the pitch, and that was part of New Zealand going through the gears, but it was also the standards slipping across the board, and it's not you know I think it, it's very easy to draw a line to Joey Carberry or Jack Crowley or Ross Byrne in that scenario, um. But it's it's not really necessarily on them. It's up, I think, to the other leaders in the team to 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 make sure that those standards aren't slipping. But I think it is the stuff that Luke's talking about because you couldn't say Ireland lacked for intensity on Saturday. You know, like the, if you look at the defensive effort, 
you know, there was no lack of intensity without the ball. And that's the harder thing to do, certainly in my experience. I mean, I hated defending. You know, the, 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 the ability to get off the line, to make big tackles against big players and, and to go through what was it, 23 phases in your own 22 and come out the other side, like that, that requires intensity. So intensity is not something they're missing. They're, they're you know, they are at the level when in, in, in that regard. I think it is the stuff that Luke's talking about in terms of his... He sees the picture better than anyone else in the game. He sees the picture four or five phases ahead of everyone else. He, he's looking, you know, he's playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers. He, you know, it, it's it's a different, it's a difficult challenge for any player coming in to do that. And while Carberry, Crowley, Crowley, like Crowley does look like he has some of the elements that Sexton has, but it's, you know, he doesn't have 15 years in the saddle. You know, he hasn't got 100 caps under his belt and all those, you know, Heineken Cup finals, games in the top 14, you, big URC games, all the different things that Johnny Sexton, sorry, Lions tests, you know, that Sexton has accumulated over the years alongside some of the greatest players to ever play in, in an Ireland jersey. So for him to step in, we can't expect, uh, you know, I saw Sinead O'Carroll make this point during the week, we can't expect him to be Johnny Sexton. But what we can expect is that Jemison Gibson Park raises his levels and that McCluskey, and maybe if, if Henshaw being there with his experience, he gives an element of comfort to the game plan and ability to step in and step up. You know, Crowley was being was surrounded by by you know fairly apart from McCluskey who has you know seven caps across or eight caps across nearly ten years you know he has he has generally got the Irish starters around him it's up to Ringrose it's up to uh, Gibson Park it's up to Keenan to to step up and set those levels and and it's up to Ireland to adjust because you can't do what they do with Sexton so they have to find a second way when he's not there and that is one of the challenges in the next twelve months because. As we saw, the intensity of that South African game, it gave Johnny Sexton a dead leg. He he was heavily strapped going into the game on Saturday, and while it wasn't the dead leg that ruled him out, it was a calf. You know, all these things are intertwined, and I'm sure, you know, when the physios went after him, it's 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 about it. You know, it, it's an accumulation thing. You know, from that the intensity of that game, he's to win a World Cup, you're going to have to go South Africa week off, Scotland quarterfinal, semi-final, final. You cannot guarantee that any player. Never mind a guy who'll be 38 at that stage can get through that. So you have to have a, a second, a, a secondary option, and you need if if you cannot play the same way without him, then you have to find a new way. Just to pick up on that point, I, I think you have to play a few times differently for a training week and for a game. Like I thought that was a really big. I, Andy Farrell, I think, has been look. It's the first. It's kind of the first thing I'm going to criticize him about in a while. Like he's been so good. Like, but. Let's face it, I think that was a mistake not playing someone else in uh, for the week in training, just letting them know, you look, you're in. Just give Johnny the time off. Like, you know, it's really hard hard to replace. You're, as a matter of fact, I think it's going to be nearly impossible to replace the kind of IP that Johnny has. He's just been, it's played with so many good players over such a long period of time, like, and lots of, like, play with Joe Schmidt as her coach. Like, he's gone, he, he's, he's a brilliant thinker of the game already, but he's had loads of great advantages over lots of people who are, say, the likes of Crowley, who's coming into a Munster team that are, you know, that's, it's a tough situation in Munster at the moment. They're not exactly flying high, I wouldn't think, compared to their very high standards. Um, you know, so he doesn't have it on a weekly basis. Um, I think he could have really done with a week in the saddle, knowing that he was going to have the team for the week. And the guys also would have known. And it was an opportunity missed to do that, I think. And that was a mistake by Farrell. I think that he ended up having the right result. But did he really have the right result in terms of giving the guy who was coming in behind Johnny Sexton the, the, like every chance to play well? Um, 
some people will say less thinking time might be beneficial, but I, I think that's, if you look at it in the aggregate, and I think that's what we really should be looking at, you know, on average, someone given more time is going to do better, I think, um, to, to adapt in a situation like that. And I think that was a mistake. Um, you know, and look, while there were some positives, like we saw Byrne come on, nail that kick. I mean, I was so pleased for him. I'm sure we'll touch on that. But there was lots of positives that we got out of this thing because it looks like Crowley is able for it. It certainly looked, looked like that to me. Um, but did we get a, did we give him an opportunity to really flourish and build confidence? Well, I would, I, I doubt that a little bit. I think he did really well in a very trying situation, but it shouldn't have to come to that, in my opinion. Yeah, I was going to come in on Rudd's point as well about the kind of performance levels of some of the other leaders when Johnny Sexton hasn't been there because Andy Files lost seven games in charge. Johnny Sexton missed three of those games, and the out halves who played got vilified for their performance. But did the team play well those days? No. Twickenham in the Autumn Nations Cup. Ross Byrne and Billy Burns combined. You know, France at home when they lost behind closed doors. The two lads played there again. You know, France and the Six Nations. Joey Carberry had had an okay game, but did the other guys really step up? As Rudd said, to kind of offset Johnny's absence. Do you think it's to- fair though, Will? Do you think it's fair? So, so we're talking about the out half and giving that person a chance to 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 play well or giving them the best chance to play well. But we probably have to ask ourselves if you don't if no one else plays with any of the out halves either. I mean, do they have as much of a chance to adapt in the middle of a game when you're tired and you've been like like a lot of a lot of your attack, particularly you know your momentum plays. And I know Rhodes wants to come in this as well. I think, but a lot of your momentum plays that that make things look good. So your 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 plays in around nine, your plays in around the rook, your plays are off ten. There a lot of those things are kind of timing. You know, particularly when you're tired, you don't have to think about it too much. You want to just know, okay. I, when I see Johnny do this, I'm there. Um, he stands at this point. You know, if Crowley's standing a little bit deeper, tighter to nine, I have to adjust my position now. Do you want to be doing that on the fly in an international? I'm not talking about just the attack, though. Like, I, I take your point on the attack. I just feel in some of those performances where Johnny Saxon hasn't been there, the team or individuals haven't played well either. And I think the out half who's come in has shipped a lot of criticism. But I don't know if the other performance levels. My point was basically like, are, the, are some of the guys sometimes getting a bit of a pass when Johnny isn't there and they go, well, Johnny isn't there, the whole thing couldn't really function. Whereas I think individually, outside of the attack where the out-half is obviously key, there's other parts of the game where the out-half is irrelevant. And I don't know if those kind of markers have been hit to the highest standards when he hasn't been there either. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. But, but I do think that that particularly, the to go back in time to the 2021 Six Nations, that game against France um, at the Aviva Stadium, where uh, Billy Byrne started and Ross Byrne came off the bench and it came down to the last play and Byrne, I think if, you know, if Byrne, Byrne was on, I think he'd say himself, he didn't have a great afternoon that day. And, and they had been that kind of, they had been the backups for that season. And he went into his shell when the game was there to be won, which is not his, the way he does things with Leinster, but it, it damaged him. I think it damaged his, his, his credit within the Irish setup. And I think the Billy Burns, you know, Billy Burns was on a loser once he kicked that ball dead in, in Cardiff, unfortunately. Um, I think Carberry came out of Paris with loads of credit within the setup. I think he really did, and, and I mean that was a day Ireland went toe to toe with what I think is the best team in the world away from home without their best player, and that would that should fill us. I think over the course of time, that's that performance has almost been diminished. I know they got beaten up in the end, but they they were close that day, and they were missing Sexton, and, and a few things went against them. And obviously, there was a big foray over that 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 call to, to go to the or was it to kick the penalty or to go to the corner. I can't even remember. But it was, the three, it, yeah, yeah. The, like the, the, the I think that one didn't damage Car- Car- Carby at all. I think Carby's credit actually one of the reasons the coaching team are actually quite comfortable with him is is because of that day and how he he managed things that day. But you're right. 
I do think one thing that, that's been kind of overlooked, and Farrell kind of let it slip and, and didn't really want to go into it, but I think there's been quite a lot of illness in the camp over the course of the the, the last two or three weeks. And I think Peter O'Mahony was one player who, who was ill last week coming into the game last Saturday, and he was the captain. He was taken off after 50 minutes. I think that probably affected some of the performance levels and the ability to get bodies on the training park and stuff like that. And maybe it's one of the reasons they didn't quite click. But uh, the overall point stands that that without Sexton, they're not the same team. Um, they're finding ways, but it's not the way that they found that summer. But again, part of that is the fact that other teams have done their analysis and they've they've figured out what Ireland are doing to some degree and they've put huge resources into it. And the good thing is that it's November 2022 and there's, there's nine months until the World Cup, there's tr- three months until the Six Nations. And Ireland now have a look at what teams will do against them and that's up to them to adapt and evolve. And we all know being world number one in 2022 is no use to anyone when it comes to you want silverware you want to win a six nations or a grand slam you want to go on and win the world cup or at least get past the quarter final um rather than bouncing out of new zealand uh, beating new zealand in 2018 on an unbelievable high and walking into an, an ambush against england in the first game of the 2019 six nations which broke ireland ireland they're kind of strolling out of this knowing where having a, had a good sense check of all the things that are that are all the deficiencies in their game having won them but not got carried away with any of them because in fairness there was no celebration really there was no massive over-the-top moments of, of highs at the end of it they're pretty realistic about where they are they're going into a six nations where they play wales who are arguably the worst team in it in the first game away from home then they play france at home there's a chance to build momentum i i just think that some of the scenario of, is is playing out better for Farrell than it did for Joe Schmidt four years ago. And I think that we can, I think they can see what we're talking about here and they know those issues are there. You know, we've been talking about the Sexton issue for this entire cycle. And like the worry is that they've been sleepwalking into a scenario where they don't have the, 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 the players beneath them who can take over or, or the plan. But surely they, they, you know, they've now had, they've had Burns, they've had Byrne, they've had Harry Byrne, they've had, Carberry, they've had Crowley, they've had Jack Carty, they've had looks at all of them. Some of them have started big games. They and we know Jack Crowley may not start another game for Ireland before the World Cup, but at least he's had the experience of playing against Australia. Look, I think it's still the major risk factor, but they can they they can see it there, and they have to come up with that's their mission now is to come up with strategies. But they go into a Stephen Donald scenario and have Ross Byrne come on and kick the winner against Australia in November and just suddenly pl- catapult themselves back into the reckoning. That's a good thing, you know that that is. They can rely on Ross Byrne to kick goals in big games um, at clutch moments. Um, and he will get a lot of minutes for Leinster in, the next, in, in big games in the next few months. So that's a, you know, suddenly if right out of nowhere, he could be back in the mix. Another wild card in the out half uh, debate. Luke, in terms of positives, in terms of guys that really stood out to you across the three matches, you know, because obviously we, we touched on some of the areas of improvement, but obviously there were three wins, there were moments in all those games we touched on that were really, really impressive. But who impressed you the most? I think McCluskey, I was really pleased for him. I think um, probably a few doubts about him before we came in. Just, you know, he's had a few chances and they probably just didn't really work out. And I felt like he kind of tightened up on those occasions. Like, he probably just didn't really suit him to play, say, under Joe Schmidt. I just, for whatever reason, just never really clicked for him. And I think his club form has been brilliant for a very long time. So I was really pleased for him. And it looked to me like he was doing a lot of the basics, you know, very well, which I think would stand him very well in terms of his international career. So, um, I, and it's it's a funny one. I think it's a nice place to have another option too. Um, look, Bundy Keys there as well, but it's a very attritional place, and I think it was great to see that. Um, so he's my guy that I think that I was that I was probably most pleased about. Sheehan's kicked on again. 
that's very pleasing too, just to pick maybe someone in the pack as well. Uh, and I know you asked for one, but maybe Jimmy O'Brien. I, I, I know I'm going on and on, but I think he's a bit of a Swiss Army knife. I think he'll be like he looks well. He, I think he goes to the World Cup actually after after his November. I think he just you know he can you can kind of slot him in anywhere. He's got good skills. I actually wasn't sure about his size, um, but he looked like he tackled well enough and held held, held himself um, held himself well in, in the kind of physical exchanges. He survived well there, and he's not he's a lovely player. So maybe he skipped ahead of. Um, Larry, who I thought might fill that role for for the uh, for Ireland, but um, look, we wait and see. In that there's still actually a lot of rugby to be played, but they were the, they were their kind of guys. Maybe I might pick out other than the the, the guys we probably already know. Will yeah, Ron, like who impressed you? Like someone like I know Caelan Doris, obviously very well mapped, but like had a really, have I left really... anyone for your roads? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, you did. Yeah, no, Doris was the one I was going to say. I did. I thought Doris was like as you say, he's mapped. He's not. It's it's no surprise that he's playing well. But I thought he was Ireland's best player this win, though. And I thought when they needed big moments, he was the one who delivered them. I mean, that carry in the build-up to the try, um, a couple of big turnovers, big tackles. I thought he, I thought he played big. And I know Josh van der Fleer is now the World Player of the Year. But if you were starting the world, the next year's World Player of the Year awards kind of selection process from this November, and he continues this form across the next year, he's going to be in those kind of conversations because I like he's so complete. Um, and it's great to have a number eight. Who, like he's keeping Jack uh, Jack Conan, the Lions number eight, uh, out of the side. And I think Max Deegan's coming hard as well. So like Leinster, <laughs> ridiculous. I know we, we've always gone about Leinster's back row options, but that's insane. Um, I think other than that, like Luke's right. I mean, I thought I didn't think McCluskey went great on, on, on Saturday. And I think I think ultimately he's still where he was in the pecking order. But you can rely more. You can trust. I don't think they'll, they'll lose that much sleep if if one of Aki or, or Henshaw goes down. I still think they prefer to have um, Henshaw and Aki available for the World Cup. And O'Brien had a great, great month. But I actually think more players played themselves out of contention than played themselves in. I, I think it more reinforced the pecking order this month than, than anything else. And that New Zealand A game was particularly damaging. And the Fiji game didn't exactly bring on anyone's reputations either. So, um, you know, it wasn't great for deepening the squad, but I think the squad is pretty settled and close to being picked anyway. So, um, there might be one or two more to adorn if you know you got Henderson, uh, Rob Keller, oh, sorry Ronan Kelleher, um, to come back. Stockdale, if he gets three months of proper rugby under his belt, he could still have a role to play. James Lowe didn't play any rugby this month. They've got good players, established players, who can come back in and, and strengthen things. So he's not in a bad position, Farrell. Um, you know Crowley. Those two I, in the pack are very pleasing, though. I I was really pleased about the South Africa game, given that. Mm. I think like Kelleher and and Henderson like they could they they'll push for starting places like they really make your bench like whoever rotates in in and out like I think they probably don't make it at the moment but did you I, I found that really pleasing personally because I think Absolutely, if, if, if everyone fit that's a pretty tough pack like I think a couple of years ago I would have been on here being skeptical about Rob Herring and he's I think he's really just become a guy you'd be completely comfortable with but I would still think Ronan Kelleher when fit and firing is a better player so you've got three hookers who you can trust. Finley Bealham has been really good. Um, you know, you know, if Furlong went down and he was starting, I still would have my concerns, but I don't think you can doubt him coming off the bench. He's like that Australia pack was big on Saturday and they and they they came with like they weren't that pretty to watch compared to other Australian teams we've seen, but they were they were dogged and they were determined and they had their backs to the wall and and, and I thought the tight five really stood up and, and yeah, Henderson comes back in and probably doesn't go straight in to break up that 
um, burn and um, and and Ryan Axis. But if you're playing week on week, you could you know you could pivot those in and out of uh, as you go. You know you kind of you're not going to play the same pack every week in, in across the seven week World Cup. So there these are the uh, you know John McCarthy was was decent to get away two penalties, but like he's got a huge ceiling and 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 has timed you know he will get games at Leinster to become um a fixture i think sorry i did mention ryan bird again is another one i think who, who can make a big impact in this cycle and I think, I think he has you know he has a role to play in this yet so um so yeah rather than name players who've been involved i'm actually naming players who weren't involved at all who i think because the the fringe players didn't really impress that much apart from jimmy o'brien i think that there's scope for them to come in really by six nations and make a big impact I do think the second row pairing had a really strong window as well. James Ryan and Ty Byrne together. Like James Ryan, obviously, in the summer had a, had a big New Zealand tour and it was a return to form and he kind of kept that up. He was good against South Africa. He was good against Australia and Ty Byrne alongside. And it was nice recognition for him to get in that kind of World Rugby Team of the Year because he's had a cracking year. But the two of them together, because they would have been maybe seen Luke as too light or a bit maybe lacking in the power stakes. Mm. But I don't know. They look, they look good to me over the course of November. Yeah, me too. And look, Tyg on the ground, like it's so nice. Like that other fetcher, you know, it just he bails you out, doesn't he? Really, I, f- I find like he's the kind of guy who's he's a real. He, he seems to come up big in big moments. I don't know how you know one of those people who just finds himself in that position. You're kind of going, oh, don't go in there, but then all of a sudden, like he comes out with a brilliant turnover. Like he's hard as nails. Of course, they all, in fairness, international forwards, they're all hard as nails. But you know what I mean. He just seems to stand out in in that little that role of being that fetcher, as well as obviously doing the other duties very well as well. So I think, um, look, the 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 weight thing could be an issue, but I, that's probably why I referenced Henderson because I think he might. Henderson's a big man. He feels like a heavier man as well. I think you have options there. Sean O'Brien, who I was chatting to on the weekend, was singing Joe McCarthy's uh, pray. He thinks he is one of the most powerful guys he's come across, which is big words from from the likes of Shawnee, I think. Um, and uh, by the way, he also mentioned Harry Byrne, very unusually for Shawnee to be talking about packs, but uh, he said he's looking really sharp at training as well. So there, I think there's loads of positive. Rory makes a good point. Like We are maybe talking about people who weren't involved, but you know, while they didn't impress and we, maybe no one put a hand up in terms of the people outside of maybe our top 25 or 26 that we think are pretty much nailed on, I think... Um, I'm hoping we see more of these guys because I, I think there's actually loads of depth in this Irish in this Irish team. I think they didn't show it unbelievably well this time around in November, but I still think we saw enough to be, you know, confident, quietly confident that we could we could weather a couple of injuries to big players and still be a very you know a real force in the competition. Um, I hope I think and I think it's very important at this stage to put the focus on that Six Nations now and actually give a few people a chance, a proper run in that. Um, and hopefully we kind of have a, a, a bigger deck to pick from because I think it looks like some of those areas that we've kind of been a little bit concerned about, you might well be able to plug some of those gaps and come out with actually quite a big pack, Will, which is I think is very pleasing. I think, interesting, Baird was brilliant for Leinster at the start. Like he was unbelievable up in Ulster in in, um, in the Kingspan that night. But he he you you could have him in as a six. He's a very big six. You can put Byrne to six if you're worried about that. Have a big, you know, have a big six. Like Byrne would be a big six to my mind, probably slightly undersized as a second row. Um and he still gives you the fetching. And you can bring in Henderson or you could bring in McCarthy if you are worried about that kind of weight in that area. So I think there's loads of options for this Irish team at this point. You'd be a little bit concerned about whether all those options have had the game time, bar Henderson, probably. Um but I, I still think there's uh, there's loads to be really positive about, you know, without getting ahead of ourselves. I think we, we still need to be conscious that that South Africa game, you know, they didn't have a kicker. 
<laughs> I mean, I think it would look very different if they didn't have a kicker. I, like, we have to be very honest about that. Um, but what's very pleasing is that it was gutsy and they got the defensive bit right, which I've been worried about for a while, I think, even though, you know, look, at times they look vulnerable. Um, but um, I thought they, they hung in there really well. And to get the wins when you're not playing well, I'd rather be doing that now because I think that really serves you well going into a World Cup year because I think they will play better and figure out the attack part. That's why I'm really fascinated to see the next 10 weeks. The provinces of 10 games, four in Europe, six URC games. And we listed so many guys there who weren't involved either through injury, who were coming back to fitness, or fringe players who didn't really get much of a run. That'll certainly be involved in some big games. There's a lot of interpros in there over the next few weeks too. So who knows, come Six Nations time, who's in better form or, or what the injury picture looks like there. So there could be potentially a few other options available when that Wales game takes place at the start of February. Rudd, just to broaden it out to to some other teams in the autumn. One thing I want to ask you about in particular, because we haven't discussed them all year, but we played them last in the World Cup. It's Scotland. You know, they had, they almost beat New Zealand. They beat Argentina, albeit there was a couple of cards in that game. And the Finn Russell situation has been fascinating to look. He's been out, he's been in, he's been out, he's back in again. And he played really well the last two weeks. Um, what do you make of where they're at at the moment? Like We, we haven't really, are we, we're probably overlooking them at this juncture, but that'll be a huge game at that World Cup as well. Yeah, like I think, yeah, they're the kind of silent assassins coming into this World Cup because on their day, I don't think anyone in that top 10 would, sorry, I don't think you'd rule anyone in that top 10 out of beating someone else in that top 10 on their day. And if you get it wrong against Scotland, you can lose. And it's happened over the last, it doesn't happen very often to Ireland, but it has happened you know, from time to time. Um, and with Russell there, I think they have the capacity to open up any defence. I mean, what gave me great confidence that they weren't going to get it right was the fact that Townsend was just being so uh, stubborn about the the Russell thing. And it was only an injury that opened the door to him. And he's so clearly their best and most important player to fall out with him. So repeatedly just speaks, you know, speaks to, I think a deficiency in Townsend's man management. Um, But if he can overcome that, if he can swallow his pride and if he can back Russell and and make him feel loved, because he clearly, over different times in his, in his time in charge, hasn't felt loved. Um, you know, he, they, all, what they really need is for Russell to go, right, I've got six weeks in Scottish camp. This guy is going to kill me if I go out and I'm going to get booked out of camp. Like, do you not think it's... I think it falls on Russell a bit. Like, cause he's and clearly, the Captain Hogg as well was out last time. Hogg, like, I mean, that, that, I think it, that it speaks to me to, to a real disciplinary issue that you can't... Like just, oh, just hang on for a little bit, and knock on the piss, or else you need to, or else Hog needs to go to Townsend and go. We need to revisit these squad rules. Something needs to happen in the setup there, and I agree with you. It's certainly not all one party's fault, but at the moment, you'd have to say if there was squad rules in place about not going out, like just, just don't do it. Like it, well, one, it's, one it's, it's such an important part of your career. One of the great media terms is losing the dressing room, and I think when the when half your senior players go out in the lash in the middle of a tournament uh, against your permission, that's a sign to me that the the dressing room was lost for at least a period. And then they turned up in Dublin last time, and they gave a really weird press conference where they refused to take responsibility for their actions. Hogg was obviously stripped of the captaincy. He ended up in, on Sky Sports during the summer being a pundit on his own team. And then they lost to Argentina in the last minute, and he was asked about leadership, and he had to give an answer. And it was just so weird. Like, I could just never imagine an Irish player ending up in that scenario. I mean, during the last World Cup, I, you know, they were in Kobe at the same time we were, and they had a bit of a gap, but they were on the absolute tear in the middle of the World Cup. Um, you know, not necessarily those players that I mentioned. And, like, the, as a as a squad, I think that there, there clearly is a bit of a drinking culture within that, that setup that, you know, maybe is one of the reasons why they failed to capitalize on what they've 
talk about as being a golden generation of players. But I think when you have a mercurial talent like Russell and you are the head coach and you don't have that much depth and you certainly don't have any 10s anywhere, like you're playing. I know Kinghorn can play 10, but he was a fullback before, um, largely in his career before Townsend tried to, you know, back them as his 10. I think you find, I think, a, I think Andy Farrell would find a, a, a way because he has an empathetic nature. He's not a dictatorial schoolmaster type like, like Townsend. He would find a way to tap into the way Finn Russell thinks he, he would throw the arm around them. He would make allowances for them without selling the whole thing down the river. And I think a good coach like a Gatland or, or a, or a, or a Farrell who has a bit of empathy could find a way. Whereas, I think with Townsend, he tried to do it's my way or the highway, but they didn't listen to him. And that, like you know, it's a two way street. I like I just haven't been that impressed with Gregor Townsend. I did, I wasn't impressed with him at the last World Cup. The way he talked about the team after they tanked against Ireland, I thought they should have got rid of him after they lost to Japan in the last game. Uh, I was surprised when they backed him. I may end up beating my words. They may end up knocking Ireland out of the World Cup next year, and that will be because they've adapted and they figured out a way of getting on together. Um. What gives you a bit of confidence, I think, is that they had New Zealand in a place where they never get them, and they let them off the hook, and they stopped playing. They just didn't know how to win that game. You know, they they Gatlin said at halftime, "If you want to beat New Zealand, you got to keep playing." And Ireland have learned that the hard way through that twenty thirteen defeat and 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 previous games, you have to keep playing. And they stopped. They pulled up. They started putting the ball up in the air. They started trying to hold, defend the lead against against New Zealand. And it's not a classic all back side, but if you give them a, give them an in. They'll take it, and and um, that showed that maybe for all that they've shown good stuff this month, and they can still take down England in a Calcutta Cup game, or they can, you know, even take down France the odd time. They 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 don't have it to do it over the course of a tournament in a one-off game at the end of a pool stage. Sure, they could take Ireland down. That's why Ireland need to go full balls against South Africa and try and get as many points on the board as they can because you don't want to leave yourself with a two-week build-up to a game you have to win to stay in the World Cup. That's essentially five, four knockout games in a row. That's not a good scenario. So that's like, you know, the way that it's put, it's, it's lined up is it's, it's uh, Romania, Tonga, South Africa, week off Scotland. You got to go into that South Africa game trying to win it because you want to be going into that Scotland game wondering about who you're going to get in the quarterfinal, not whether you're going to get there at all. Another team, Luke, who were in a strange place after the weekend is England. Like that England-New Zealand game, you know, to be down 19 points and be absolutely out of it and then, you know, rush back in the last 10 minutes and, and snatch a draw and then kick it out when you, obviously a lot of controversy that's caused. It, it's funny just to be reading the reaction, kind of some of the pieces being like the 10 minutes that showed the blueprint for England's future. And I was just thinking to myself, like that was a frantic helter-skelter kind of like, I don't think that's really a blueprint for anything. I don't think that's going to be that replicable. What did you make of that game and and just the whole madness around it? I think they're still trying to figure out how they want to play. Like, and I think, like, I still this is going to be really boring because it's going to probably be repeating what I always think about England. But I think England are best when they're bullying you, when they've got an like when they're organized. Like, when I just think that suits their game plan. I, I just think Smith is too expansive for them, and I don't like his size either. I think he's too small. I think you'd get exposed against the bigger teams. That won't all it needs. It only needs to happen once for me to be right on this one, and I, I'll probably bang the drum consistently on that. I just look. I'm just not sure he's the guy. Will um, I think Farrell is the guy, and I think he should be playing ten for them. Um, I think it's really harsh on Marcus Smith, who's unbelievable in the in the league, but. We've seen how good that league is. Like it's not great. Uh, like we always, I mean, there's there's very few teams in that who cause any of the big French teams or you know Leinster the last couple of years any trouble there. So I'm just not sure. I think they're picking him because of that, 
and they probably have to to some extent but I just don't think it's best for the England team and I think that's what we're seeing well I think that's why we're seeing these kind of inconsistencies I think that's why you know I <laughs> I suppose I think as well, there's probably a bit of an issue with the coach as well. Um, like it looks like no one, no, no coaching staff can really stick by him or want to hang around. That causes inconsistencies too, uh, and makes it a difficult. It must be a difficult place to be around, and I think he's probably a problem for them as well. Um, and look as well, there's there is one important thing to consider. Like he's he's basically, I don't know what he's saying to the team. But he's kind of discounted these windows between the World Cup as being unimportant. So, I don't know. Maybe they get their act together next year because it's a World Cup year. Um, and he delivers on everything that he's been saying. But uh, I don't know. I'm unconvinced by... They're the kind of three key issues when I look at England, uh, Will. And I think that's why you see those performances like this comeback kind of performance where out of nowhere, where there's brilliance for, for a period of time but nothing concerted. And then you get the loss as well at the start of the window. So, I don't know. I just think... They're in a weird place, England. They're always going to be dangerous because they've got so many resources um, and lots of brilliant players. But I just feel like they're not playing to their traditional strengths. Like you look at South Africa, like they're always going to be difficult to beat because they don't really try and be anything else because they know what they're great at and it's bloody hard to beat them. And I think England should be doing something similar, to be honest with you. They don't need to play that really expansive game. They can do that when they've beaten the crap out of you for 60 minutes and look great for 20 minutes. That's always what great England teams did in my mind. So... Um, that's my thoughts on them. Uh, great game, though. <laughs> it, was, it was great to see a comeback and a draw uh, after my pretty miserable uh, summation of, of, of England. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I will say one thing. The World Cup seems to be really, really open. There's loads. Of t- there's no real standout at this point. I mean, South Africa, I think, may... For South Africa and France are still probably the teams to beat. But, um, I mean, even they didn't look great over the window. Uh but they look very powerful. But other than that, I think it looks really, really open. And it makes for an unbelievably exciting lead into this World Cup because it looks like, you know, out of the top 10, 10 teams, um, you know, everyone can beat everyone nearly. Well, probably top eight really can, you know, everyone can beat everyone. So it's um, very exciting. Just uh, I looked at the Six Nations schedule there. And like, if you think England have, if you, t- if you take it that England have momentum coming out of the last 10 minutes, they've Scotland at home in the first game. Then they're at home to Italy. Then they have a week off. Then they're going to Wales. So we're currently looking at Sack and Pivac, apparently, according to the Daily Mail this evening, um, before they play France at home and then Ireland away in the final game. So um, that's a chance to build on what they have. France have a cider. Like, it, you know, stranger things have happened. And, like, you look at that England team, you look at the athletes they have, the players of the calibre that they have, and the coach that they have, even though he hasn't really done it in this cycle, like there is capacity for them to find a window and, and, and do well. And they, they timed it really well in the last last World Cup cycle. They, they blew Ireland out of the water in our first Six Nations game. Um, I, I don't know. I, I probably have an over, uh, you know, oversized sense of their, uh, their, their brilliance based on a couple of big performances that are now a long time ago. And I thought it, it was very telling that they, they kicked the ball off the park at the end in, a, in what was a sense to be a friendly. But... You know, at the same time, they were able to dominate the, the All Blacks in the clutch moments and and almost cause. You know, I think it would have been a great, like one of the great comebacks if Smith had kicked the the was it one of the conversions he missed. Yeah. You know, if if they if they managed to, to to get the win, like what a, what an amazing result that would have been. It showed frailties again in the All Blacks. You know that that they're just not the team that they were right now. But um, I wouldn't go right in England off by any manner or means, despite the fact that. There's all, so many fundamental errors or flaws in what Eddie Jones has done in the World Cup cycle. He still has a group of players who can be very good on their day. And I, I think Luke has laid out a number of structural flaws in their team. 
he's got time to iron those out in in, in the meantime and and you know they're they're good they've good enough players that they can almost get away with some of that stuff certainly in the six nations maybe not in the world cup and Rod, one other interesting talking point is the identity of the next England coach. And I know I think I saw you tweeting about it the other day that Ron O'Gara is apparently on a three-person shortlist along with <clears throat> Steve Borthwick and Scott Robertson. Uh, it's uh, I think it's going to be early next year when they make a decision because they potentially there's room for the person to then be in the in the assistant coaches box at the World Cup. But God, the prospect of Ron O'Gara coaching England, you know, probably still a little remote even if he's on the shortlist. But it would be fascinating. It'd be fascinating. I, I like I, I've written about this in tomorrow's paper, so I don't know what time we're going live with, with the podcast. But I, I've done a done a piece that'll be up on Independent Day about are we ready to? You know, everyone said we matured as a nation in two thousand seven in that Crow Park game. Have we really matured enough to see Ron O'Gara coach England against Ireland and, and and accept that as a thing? Like, imagine him in that that shiny white tracksuit and running down the Twickenham steps, celebrating a Marcus Smith drop goal to beat Ireland to win a Grand Slam, or defending an English player. I remember um, Mike Brown kicked Conor Murray in the head in the 2016 or 17 Six Nations, and Eddie Jones came out and said, no, nah, what he did was fine. It wasn't a big deal. Like, you have to go to bat for your player, and if you're the England coach, you have to be all in on that job, and you can't be Irish anymore. You know, you can't, like, for that whatever period you have, you've got to, like, go to bat for your players. You've got to go all in on it. This is an Irish legend, one of the greatest players we've ever had, a player who, like, you know, played in that 07 game, and I was watching the the, the anthems earlier, like, you know, was was deeply emotional during it, and he said last week on off the ball that that he would have to kind of think about what he, um, where he's from and what he represents before he would consider taking the job. I think the RFU need to come up with a way of getting him home before he, he takes a job in a rival nation and potentially like he's one of the best coach, young coaches in the world. Sure, sure, Andy Farrell's job is not available. Like, could he replace David Nusa in twenty twenty four with the experience that he's had? Why not? Could he be Lancer's senior coach? Why would he want to Why be not? the David Nusifor role though? Like that's that's not a like he wants to be a uh, who, coach. Who appoints the who who appoints the next head coach after Andy Farrell's gone? He could do a Razi and appoint himself. Look, I'm just saying that you do not after want after an arduous process. You, I decided to go myself. <laughs> but like you do not want I like you get to run Irish rugby, you get to fix what's going on in Munster, you get to to make big decisions. It's a really influential, highly paid role. Um, with massive standing in the game, the Australians are mad to get New Sephora back. They were, you know, they were, like the journalists who were over last week wanted to talk to him. We are the talk of what's going on. Like it's not, a, it's it's a good job. I'm not saying it's a perfect fit for O'Gara. Maybe the Leinster senior coach job is is a perfect fit for O'Gara. Maybe you get him in and you give him full control of the game plan. I know again, Munster fans might feel the same way about him wearing blue as they as as a lot of Irish people would about him wearing white. But it's a high profile job within Ireland that gets him back into the system because at the moment. You're risking losing one of the brightest Irish minds in the game to your biggest rivals and a team that, if they get it right, can dominate you because they have an incredible array of players that they can do. So I think it's it, like it's yeah, a that big a deal. Like he's not—he hasn't been working in the Irish setup up to now. Like he—he he, he beat Leinster in the Champions Cup final. Not like no one cared about it then. Like you know, as in one of the greatest Irish minds beating That's- one of the Irish teams. Like. I think with it, well, look, maybe maybe I have moved on in the way that everyone else in the country has moved on. But I think working for England is a, is a different matter, and I think it will be a, it will be fairly unpalatable. And I'm like, whether how would it affect his chances of coaching Ireland in the future? Whether 
would it be great experience that he would have under his belt to come home and then do the Irish job, or would it set him on a path well, where it he seems would never to be a feather in the cap for the Irish job? Like if you, it's like look at Farrell, look at Ashton, look. There's loads of guys who've coached England, gone on to no, coach absolutely. Ireland. You know it's, what I mean? fa- it's fascinating. Might be, and maybe might be the perfect stepping stone. <laughs> like yeah, the, you know, a couple of years experience at England before you come home. Yeah. Like I, I think the reality of it is very different to because because it's a three man shortlist, and I think we all expect Bortswick to get it, or maybe Robertson. I don't think. I think if he got it, it'd be a massive story, and it'd be most one of the most fascinating career moves any Irish person's ever made. An Irishman coaching England, like that, is just it would be a remarkable turnaround for any. Like you know, I I think we haven't grasped the gravity of what that would mean, and if it went wrong, how they would turn on him because he's Irish. You know, I think like that that is whether we're ready. Like we've obviously like it's never made a big deal out of here that Farrell's English, and, and, and nor should it be. But like I think there's a big step to be made on, on on that as well so it's um you know like it's it's i think i think it will be just so big and such a mind shift for everyone including himself um and yet it's such a great opportunity and he deserves it because his, his cv is so good but ultimately like why does it matter because he's like because he's one of ours he's one of our greatest players you want him working for for our in our system like whether to shoehorn him in, like to make him the Leinster senior coach, he'd be taking a demotion from what he does now to work under someone else. Like I, I could take your point. You obviously would like a big yeah, Irish yeah, name, yeah. and he'd say, "Look, we're getting you in here, and, and if it goes well, you're next Ireland coach." Like, you, you, yeah, but maybe Leo it. goes. Maybe Leo goes to that Irish gig, and maybe that's, like you know that that that's that's there is something they could do there. I mean, I suppose it, it comes to. I, I actually weirdly enough, <laughs> given all my that familial history, I, I I actually don't have a problem with it. I, I think it's a job, and I think it's the biggest job in world in, in world rugby. If you look at the just the, the the size of it and the kind of finances and all that kind of stuff, I do think it's a massive job. And like I think if he got if he got it, you know, he should definitely take it. I think yeah, um, I you know, I agree with that. Sorry, I don't want to sound like I don't think he should take it. I think yeah, if he got offered that job, you should definitely take that. Like that's a brilliant job. They've got brilliant resources. You can be successful. Like they will. They they will you know you've got everything you need there to be a success and they would really suit I think his way of thinking as well like he you know big pack uh, like they do have the ability to play but also I think the structure like you know surely something someone like him would really benefit from that and I think the stuff that he's learned along the journey in terms of you know how to play and how to open up teams from an attack perspective I think you know. Yeah, while he was in New Zealand, I think that would really benefit England too. I think if he could find the perfect match, he'd be brilliant for them. It would bloody hurt watching him. I agree with Rudds, but I think, um, you know, he'd need to get over that. Like that's a real localism thing, and um, you know, I think rugby is a kind of a, you know, particularly the coaching jobs. It's kind of different to playing in my mind. Like it's a, it's a lot, co- a lot more cold and, and and calculated and technical. And I think, uh, of course, it'd hurt, but like. You know they've they've done it for us for years, and we've had no problem with their with with, with their with those coaches coming over here and making a big impact. Um, I don't see why the shoe shouldn't be on the other foot, particularly when he's got the ability to do the job, and he's got the personality as well. I think I think he'd be well able to take on um, that English media. Now it is pretty nasty over there. I, I have to say it's a very different media environment to what we have here. Despite what some ex coaches would have you think about the the Irish journalists, it's really friendly compar- comparatively. I can tell you that from from my own experience on the Lions tour. It's just a bit more, it's a bit more direct and aggressive. I think over there, uh, and it's something that you have to get used to. But it's that comes with having a huge job. But he's a big personality. I think he'd be well able for it, and he's quite calm. So, um, yeah. I mean, look, is there something for him over here? Uh, he'd probably have to get over the same type of um, kind of uh, 
localist maybe feelings that he has to go and coach Leinster, but that's probably the one that would be the most appealing to him um, and wouldn't be as big a stretch for him uh, from a family perspective and all that. But um, yeah, like it, there, there is something that they could do for him and the timing might be perfect. But then I look at other people. I, I'm actually not sure there's anything for him here at the moment that would really work well for him. That's the only thing I would say. I like. I think Leinster have kind of. It looks to me like they're shaping to go a slightly different route, and maybe I think it looks like Johnny Sexton. I mean, I think he was pretty sure that he was lined up to do a job after the World Cup, um, but it sounds to me like he's. Uh, you know, just from an interview, like I haven't spoken to him about it, but it sounds like he was a bit unsure about that, and sounds like well, either he might play on or he might go into coaching. I, I, I didn't. Wasn't sure. I don't know if you guys picked up on that, and and obviously Leinster would be a natural stepping stone for someone like him. So. We watch that place that 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 uh, that's that plays very closely. I'd be really interested to see if they do approach him because it looks to me like he's kind of in a good slot in La Rochelle. I mean, it's they just they're rugby mad there. Uh, family love it. It sounds like the place where he's living is brilliant. The kids having a great time. The wife loves it over there. So everything's pretty settled for him, and, and he, they do love him. So it'd be, he may it'd be hard be, to leave too. He may, he may not be in any rush to take an international job because I think what one, a lot of the generation of Irish players who played with Anthony Foley learned from his experience of being a head coach was you don't rush things that coaching is a long and winding road and you want to stay in it as long as possible. And if you take the big job too early, that doesn't go well, you know, look at Eddie O'Sullivan and look at Declan Kidney. It's hard to get another gig once it, once it's gone, gone badly. So you got to plan. He's taken every step along the way. So well, he's picked his jobs incredibly well and he's, he's un- under contract to La Rochelle to 2024. He is very happy there. He lives in Ile de Ray, which is a spectacular place to live. And, and, He's very popular and, and well loved there as well. But at the same time, you, you got it. You know how long Lancaster did seven years at Leinster before he moved. He's moved to Racing. Um, you know every job is a shelf life, and and I'm sure he's plotting his next move. I think if Farrell had gone in 2023, like if, if Farrell had gone to England after the World Cup, I think O'Gara would have got the Ireland job. But there is a sense of ships in the night that if if the, the way things just don't line up in terms of timing or contracts and 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 everything that. Just it just may not ever fall the right way for him to get that job. I'd love him to get it. I think I think he'd be a great fit for Ireland as well, and it would be an incredible story. And as a journalist, like he's one of the most interesting people. And like even the fact that he's he writes a national newspaper column and he does a weekly appearance on radio and the odd TV thing as well while he's coaching at La Rochelle, keeping us all kind of in the loop as to what he's thinking. Even the fact that he's been so open about how he feels about the potential England job, he plays such a clever game. Um. It's it, it, it like whatever way he goes with it, it's going to be interesting. But I do think that uh, that we might be kind of chill about it right now. But watch him on those Twickenham steps celebrating a try against Ireland or a Grand Slam win, and I think that uh, that will quickly dissipate. And as I say, maybe it would be the same for Munster fans, and he's you know celebrating like a, a Leinster win over Munster if, if he was to come home that way. But like they surely are thinking about Nusifora has. I asked Nusifora a couple of years ago, would he have to come home before he coached Ireland, and he said no. Previously, he had said that the successor to Joe Smith had to work within Ireland. Now they knew Farrell was going to take that job, um, but they've they're in touch with. I I I understand that they're in touch with O'Gara and they're like they're surely monitoring. They've they've nailed down Farrell partly to ward off England. They're surely looking at their 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 assets and thinking this guy is is obviously disposed towards us. How can we get him back? And I, I don't know how to do it. I'm just throwing out things there with like you know the new Sephora gig in Manchester, but like. I think it's a. I I wouldn't like to because I see it working so well. I really don't think empowering England and giving them a great coach. I'd much rather they had Steve Bortwick than Ron O'Gara. Steve Bortwick's meant to be brilliant. Steve Bortwick is meant to be brilliant. Honestly, I'm I'm not sure that that's 
he seems like he's very uh, like everywhere he's gone, he's been pretty successful. I think. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be so sure about that one. I'm not. I think he. I, I, he I think he's very, he's about I he's very te- good technical coach. I've been in his press conferences. They are like Don't. I felt. I almost <laughs> fell asleep in one in New Zealand. That was early in the morning. But like he's not a charismatic figure, certainly outside. And I think to be the England coach, you've got to have that as well in, as part yeah. of your locker. So I I think he needs someone with him. I, unless he has a ah, personality. Have someone with him, no. I mean, you could Pardon? definitely have someone who'd be. You could. I mean, you're. You look at the likes of, say, like a Sean Edwards or something like that. Like he, he could, he, he could fire up team for you. He signed on to France for the next four I years. Know, but so. you know what I mean? Right, just, I mean, like you could find someone like you know who's got that that bit of oomph that you maybe. But I think the, head coach, the head coach in national rugby, I think, needs to be able to sell the game as well, and it needs to be able to handle that media side. And Borthwick's deeply, you know, is not comfortable in that regard. Like Leicester. Don't do you're you know, about do. yourself on this road. <laughs> you're thinking about yourself. You want a one liner. Yeah, no, I, I do think it's part of like look at Eddie. Look at look at all the big figures in 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 the, in the like Razzie. Like you've got all these things happening across the board. Look yeah. at Farrell's ability to, to to send messages after games. I, I do think it's important. And Borthwick, look while he's technically brilliant and, and an excellent lineout thinker, I, I I would wonder about him being the, the 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 head coach of England because of the what you talked about if they get to a world cup it's not the core rugby guys it's when they get to a world cup and all of the other lads who usually cover soccer and stuff come out for a quarter final semi-final and the heat comes on you and suddenly if you fail look what they did to lancaster they ran him out of town and he's a great media operator so it's uh it's a fascinating it's it's such a big job um and eddie jones has dominated for so long we almost forget how difficult like martin johnson found it you know one of the great figures of the game you know and, and that was a too early that was a that was a way too early it job was, wasn't yeah. it really yeah, yeah. but borbeck's good but i still I, I take o'gara if i if you were picking the next ireland coach i wouldn't have him anywhere near it if, compared to o'gara i'd have o'gara in there straight away so um and i haven't even talked about razor robinson but I, the sense i have from southern hemisphere sources is that, that I, he's going to get the next all box job so um i think maybe he's getting a lancer senior coach role <laughs> i wonder will joe get it that's why i think he's sniffing around it's funny how close he's gotten to the team isn't it so quickly yeah, when things really. go wrong yeah well, mm. the England job is certainly one of the many international talking points to look out for as we head into the new year and towards the Six Nations but for now I'd like to thank Rod and Luke for joining me we'll be back next week with another podcast and in the meantime you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so until next time thanks for listening and goodbye this is an Irish independent podcast